Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Peter Crable. Hey, Mr. Crable. Hey, what's up? Welcome back. It's good Thank to see you. Ya. Good to see you. And Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hey, Casey. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. All right. We are the threesome of Ed's Not Dead. <laughs> I, know you, I know I've used that one before and it didn't go over that well, but I thought I would try it again tonight just to see if it worked the second time. No? Yes? Triad? It's like Troika? END. END. Back on e- END. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. We are the three fellows that host Ed's Not Dead, and we are glad to have you back. Uh, we have a great show tonight. Um, we have guest uh, Kimberly Carlisle, the director of um, Utah's Talent Ready program. She's going to talk to us about uh very interesting private sector public partnerships for high school students and also workforce development in utah uh we're trying to get out and as you say mr sidden get a larger left coast audience right (laughs) we're trying to get to the the audience that's more available at eight o'clock at night on (laughs) eastern standard time all right but uh, no we we, 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 we've connected with them a couple weeks ago and uh we're just happy to get them on the show because they're they got some great ideas and great programs going on out there that we want to spread the word about. Yes, they do. Um, as always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Uh, we are going to stick with the theme of um, higher ed to a degree, and we're going to talk about free college College fellas, free college. I know you both love free college. You two socialists. Anything, um, anything that's free. I love anything that's free. I like I, free lunches. I, I like know. free meals in between breakfast and dinner. You're both millennial squeakers, so I'm not surprised that you. Like <laughs> or free you know, stuff. we just don't like economic inequality. But you know, whatever. It's six of one, half dozen of another. And as it is December second, uh, we this may be the last year Betsy segment. Um, cause dear Betsy has responded to the idea of free college and loan forgiveness and has just basically pooped all over those ideas. And we're going to talk about that and dear Betsy, right? Mr. Who, Mr. Sitz. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, it's good to see you fellas. Are good everybody, to see you. everybody okay? Yeah. I, I, it was funny. I, I just had like a moment where I was like, you know, it's really depressing We've been doing the show on Zoom for like, was it seven months now? I, I miss I miss doing it in your basement. I gotta say, like you know, this is this is nice. It's nice to do it. It's like, man, I, I really do miss getting together in person. I and, agree. Uh, and, and doing the show. Yeah, man. we had we we had a nice little ritual going on there for three plus seasons. Yeah. Um, I would I would buy those delicious subs from Santucci's and so good. For our listeners, Santucci's is an awesome delicatessen in Silver Spring, Maryland, and, we and they make eat. great veggie subs. Uh, yeah, oh. and we and we would eat, and you guys would get to spend a little time with my two kids, mm-hmm. um, and then we would do the show. And now we just stare at each other on Zoom. <laughs> it's so different than my normal day. <laughs> I know. I know. It's such a change I, of pace. I, I wonder what hour number hour this is on Zoom for me today. I would. I don't even want to know. <laughs> the other day I, w- I was looking at something from afar and i was like do i need glasses and i was like i might need glasses and i fully blame it on increased computer usage absolutely 
I got I got the I got the blue film on these. Oh really? Yeah, I just I got these because I, I I feel like maybe my eyes are wrecked forever after the last six months. Ugh. I've always I've always had a goal to be like Bono, and wear. Yeah, blue colored sunglasses or pink ones or yellow ones. Yeah, why? Bono is always Bono. Yeah, you can't wear those unless you're Bono. I know that's the problem. Right. So I know I I I think you could get away with that. Great. Bono is Bono has always had some great eyewear. Yeah. Um, Now, what's his name with the bandana? That's not been as good because he's bald. Who's that? Uh, the, Rose. The, no, the guitar player in U2. He's always worn the hat and the bandana. Oh, the edge. Because he lost his hair in like 1980, like right after Sunday, Bloody Sunday. <laughs> oh, is, is that why he was, he's bald? <laughs> yeah. He's didn't bald. know that. didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know yeah, why people so he, are so sensitive about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I think he was bald before you could pull off the look that you got, Mr. Smith. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, well, it's good to see you guys, and always hope you a had pleasure. A happy, hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Mr. Sins is getting a new kitchen, and Frida's a year old. Uh, and, um, walking around like crazy. Mr. Crable has a dirty downstairs bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't have two boys. Is all I gotta say about that. <laughs> All right, it's that time of the show. Uh, show feedback when we hear how much the audience loves us, Mr. Sins. Well, I'd like, before Crable talks about some of the feedback he found on, tw- on the Twitter exchanges, um, <clears throat> an old friend of ours, Pete's and I, uh, Ken Buffum, who uh, texted me this evening to talk. To- we were just uh, texting back and forth about some things. And he said, also, I listened to your podcast. 600,000 died in the Civil War. COVID has killed 270,000 Americans. You said they were equal. Come on, man. <laughs> so uh, I was, you know, a little off. I, I don't, I haven't listened to the last episode in a bit, but uh, I'm pretty sure I said that uh, there were the same amount of people or we're getting to the amount of people who, uh, who have died from COVID-19, same amount have died from the Civil War. Clearly way off. A little embarrassing as a social studies teacher, but I'm glad that we have listeners to fact check because that's that's really what I said it for. I knew the amount of people that died. Uh, I knew the number. I just wanted to make sure that people were paying attention. Well, Mr. Siddons, and and thank you, Ken, because I mean he he is a if not current a former uh, head of a social studies department, correct? Oh, that's so some cold sauce. No, no, Ooh. I'm saying no. I'm saying he actually knows that social studies teachers should have some grasp of facts and places and dates as opposed to you who who just embrace concepts. (laughs) (laughs) It is a little embarrassing. I, uh, my grasp of facts and figures in that sense is not great. (laughs) Well, thanks for, thanks for fact checking us, Ken. Yeah, I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. And that was not a shot at Ken. I don't even know what he's doing. I was not, (laughs) I was not making some assumption. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing very well. Yes. Uh, all right. So uh, thanks for the show feedback from Ken, Mr. Crable. You never do show feedback. What do you have that you're excited about? I don't know. Um, this is a, a little background. I, I didn't think I'd be doing this one either. I was over here taking notes and preparing for the next segment. Um, 
so we we had a text exchange the three of us kind of thinking like what you know what's the next big idea in education like what's going to be coming around the bend you know what is the biden administration going to be putting money towards um and we we're just i think excited to hear just what other people were thinking as well so we got some feedback um and some of them uh from uh, mr kozlowski mr koz 31 um, he brought up how do we transition to standards and mastery-based learning without having new equity issues popping up? Um, and I kind of said, you know, because I know Mr. Kaz is, is big on this, you know, it's not just about teachers buying in, but everybody buying in because the A to E scale is is across all walks of life. It's ingrained in everything that we do. Well, how'd you do? Eh, I did A work, you know, it has <laughs> nothing to do with school. Um and so his kind of point was, you know, it has to be about the skills. So how are we talking about the skills? And we've had that those conversations before about, you know, transitioning to a more skill-based, like what can students do? Um, so I still do think that's an interesting idea. And as he points out, you know, by and large, um, people like the traditional grading system. So it's, it's fun. When you said that on Twitter and I was following it, I started thinking about all the other aspects of life that use the A to E scale. And the first thing that came up to my mind was, you know, every year, every few years, they do like a transportation um, infrastructure report on the nation's bridges and roads. And they're like, you know, this state is a B plus or this, the bridges in Pennsylvania are D minus or something. It's like, oh man, it's like pervasive everywhere. Um, but I, I agree. I, I think I, I, I wonder how much the grip of letter grades is on our education system to the point that I, I'm you know, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I think there's so many things that have to change to to make it happen. It's just un it's unthinkable for me to, that it actually would actually change. Well, I think we start small, Casey, and it starts with the three of us committing to no longer referring to anything on the A to E scale. I don't really ever. So, Casey, we will I'm only there. refer to standards from now on. Okay. After the show, we're not going to give it a grade. We don't okay. give grades for the. I know, but I don't. Why? Why have we never done that? We should do that. We should do that, but that we're not doing it anymore. That'd be a great practice. Actually, we should critique each other and give each host an A to E. I think that's a fabulous idea. <laughs> Anybody wants to do that out there, really focus on Robbie if you don't mind. Let's that's do just, that. I really Let's like, do that on our next Twitter uh, escapade. Uh, <laughs> we'll have pictures of us with a grade next to it for the, like for the it. last I show. Like it. I'm going to develop a little Google spreadsheet. Uh, I like it. And Robbie's frozen, so this is even better, so we can talk about him more. <laughs> yeah, we'll, it'll be like a little report card. So that's perfect. perfect. All right, so that was thank you, Mr. Kaz, uh, for that feedback. Um, additionally, Lynn Harris, great friend of the show. Hold um, on, hold on, hold on. Hold oh, on, hold on. I was going to steamroll right through so you. So quick. <laughs> I, I, I'm, having, I'm having internet problems, clearly. Yeah, you're Mr. Robotico over there. <laughs> So there you go. I'm just going to keep talking. Um, so Lynn Harris, great friend of the show, who actually, in big news, was sworn in as um, a Board of Education member today. So congratulations to Lynn. Um, something that she said she was thinking about is that, you know, what we're learning about distance learning um, that we can take back um, once we reenter schools. And additionally, what about students who distance learning is actually um, working for? And I do think that's pretty interesting because we have talked and so much talk has been about how kids have not been served by distance learning. Yes. But that's not 100% true. And we all know that's not the case where every kid is not. So how can we leverage um, and utilize the lessons that we've learned once kids go back? 
so I, I, you know, I, I think I need to think about that one a little bit more in terms of what are um, the implement implementable. Yeah, sure. That's a word. Uh, <laughs> lessons once we go back. I think so, it'll be, it's interesting to think about the, you know, there are the kids who are maybe more secluded or the kids who are, you know, keep to themselves a little more. Um, there are, there are certainly going to be kids who um, online learning is just better for them. They're more, they, they agree with more self-paced learning or they, they, it, it fits their learning style better. Yeah. Uh, maybe they don't get along with a lot of different kids as, as easier as others. Uh, maybe so they're not many, involved in athletics. Reasons. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Thanks so much for the feedback, Lynn. And congratulations. I haven't had, I haven't run into Lynn um, since uh, her big win. And so uh, she's a friend of the pod and we are very happy for her. We know she's going to do great things on behalf of students. Yes, she is. Yep. All right. Uh, so that concludes the show feedback. I heard none of it because um, my interweb dropped off and well, we thought uh, you were still I'm, here. I'm, I'm, I'm no, back. Didn't, didn't even notice. We thought you were just being quiet. All right. Let's get to um, our first story, fellas. Are you ready? Ready. Always. All right. Um, I may need Crable's help with this because he, he tends to be a better summarizer of large text than I am. Uh, <laughs> but we are going to uh, delve into this piece in Education Next, one of our favorite sources. Uh, this blog, it's entitled Don't Ruin College by Making It Free. Uh, it's by Beth Akers. Am I, am I incorrect in that this is fairly old? It is, yeah. yeah it's several months old. But okay. the, the, the idea was very intriguing to me. Okay. Uh, so you were actually just kind of surfing and found this and, yeah. and okay. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, it, it's an interesting article on um, not so much the pros, but mostly the cons of uh, what might happen um, with at the time that this was written, democratic nominees advocacy for uh, completely free higher ed in, in at least public public institutions, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, and now this is something that President-elect Joe Biden has also, at least to some extent, espoused um, or looks like he's going to, to put some policy behind or try to with a divided Congress um, an approach to free college. Fellas, um, the upshot of the positives, according to Beth Akers, on making college free is that it would be free. Um, beyond that, she doesn't cite really many, many positives. Well, she um, says it's, it's going to be great. It's going to, well, she says, you know, it's again, it really it'll be, it, afford it, the, t she, the quote is afford the ticket to prosperity. Yeah. Um, which is very pri vague. Pr primarily <laughs> her, her primary criticism, which I think is interesting. And I thought on balance, this was a pretty moderate kind of nonpartisan look at, at, at the cons involved with free college is that it will dampen innovation. That one of the things that really separates higher ed in um, our nation versus other nations around the world is that it does operate in some form of a kind of market structure, um, which incentivizes innovation. Uh, she didn't really name all that many innovations and I couldn't really think of that many when, when I, when I read, although 
I, I, one thing she didn't mention was research and that lots of our, our, our public universities are renowned research centers. Um, and I do think that that, um, that is a kind of a, a feature of um, college in the United States. But we, not long ago, I think last spring, last season, we did a piece on free college in Germany um, and how, am I right? Yeah. And how free college in Germany had led to kind of a rationing of overall services and extracurriculars and um, other kinds of experiences for kids. Um, and so she, she's, she's basically saying that also that the, the kids right now that are in the most need financially, that support financially is already there in the nation with uh, Pell Grants and the like. Um, and that, that the, the, the part of our society that would take advantage of this um, is, are those kids that don't need it, um, which wouldn't be a good thing for the nation as a whole. So my question to you is, where are you on this idea of that on balance, um, this wouldn't be a good thing for the long-term prospects of our economy um, and the health of the, of the country? So I, I first want to say that I, I am still such a sucker for clickbait. And <laughs> I mean, the title of the article, I thought it was going to be this like insane trope about, you know, something. And it really wasn't at all. I thought, I, I honestly, I thought it was very, I thought it was really well written. Yeah. And I, and that's, and that's kind of why I liked it because I thought there's some, there's some points in here that I kind of want to dissect. Um, and, uh, you know, in a non-typical Ed's Not Dead fashion, I do think that there's room for disagreement on some of these, um, you know, as right as I or we or whoever may think they are. I do think there's there's reasonable space for for disagreement. But, um, there, are, you know, one of the things that was brought up as well um, had to do with the cost of providing free college for everyone. Um, and, you know, I just I, I, I have a hard time and I find that a fairly disingenuous argu argument. I think there's enough money in this country to pay for pretty much anything that we want. Yeah. But like with anything, it does need to come from somewhere else. And the, this, the data that she cited was $70 billion that I guess Bernie Sanders came up with when he was trying to very rough guess what it would cost. And all the 70 billion sounds like a lot of money, to be honest, it's not that much money. And she makes the point that it would open up the ticket to prosperity for every American. Is that worth $70 billion? I think so. I really think so. <laughs> um, you know, and she also mentions debt and we're going to get a little bit more into this, but you know, the crushing, crushing debt is like, it's a real thing. You know, people come out of college and they're paying off debt for years and years and years, or they decide to never go to college. And I think those things um, are very legitimate arguments. Um, another point I'll make, and then I'll, I'll let you respond, is Robbie, you brought up the point about innovation. And to me, this it, it, this is more of like a conservative, liberal, classic debate where the public sector, the debate goes, the public sector doesn't encourage innovation because everything is guaranteed. So people are, and this is my words, not theirs. So people are, are basically lazy and content and don't strive to innovate. 
And the quote that she has in there is that if college was already, oh, I'm sorry, is the pull of free colleges would divert students from private schools. Yeah. Who cares? Like <laughs> that's the whole point. Who cares? I mean, I, maybe I, somebody can point out a reason why that matters, but like, I went to a private school. I liked it. I went to a private school too, but I'm I, saying if the options were public schools or private schools, I don't know. I can't say that anything would have been so different. And I don't see that, I guess, as inherently a bad thing. Well, how do you respond to uh, there's people go to private, there's public schools for K to 12 and people still go to private schools. They choose but, to go to them. But I think when you look at this in, in economic terms, the shift in incentives inherent in a public takeover would necessarily threaten innovation and quality. I think that's um, bull. I mean, I, th- I think it's total I mean, bull. I, I don't know if it is total bull. I mean, we've had experience. It's, it's, it's designed to scare let people. Me finish. From- let, let, oh. let me finish. Let me <laughs> finish. You already got to speak. I didn't get to speak yet. Oh, well, you've just been I sitting hear there, what, I hear there twiddling says. your thumbs. No, because I was letting Peter Crable say his piece. Okay. <laughs> you got to speak. Mr. Crable got to speak. And then I would like to speak. But go okay, ahead, Dr. Dodd. Go ahead, Principal Dodd. Go ahead. Let's take turns. <laughs> go ahead, Mr. Um, Roboto. <laughs> that <laughs> thank you very much all right all i was going to say um before i offended you was <laughs> that um now now i can't even remember. oh i was going to say the three of us have been involved in a venture that required um some level of competition for students correct yes um and I, I do think that um, in, in kind of a market kind of structure that competing for kids um, does, it isn't in, inherently leads to some, to quality and innovation. Um, I think we all agree that when we had to do that, we had to be very conscious of how we innovated and the quality that we were providing because we were competing. Um and I think that her, she doesn't say it will ruin those things, but she says it is a threat. Um, and, I, and I think that's legit. I, I, I take the point, but I, I feel like uh, it's, a, it's a cop-out. I feel like the, the actual premise of the, our article is a cop-out. Don't ruin college by making it free. Is making it seem like if you let all these, these ne'er-do-wells in, then uh, it will diminish the quality of a university experience. And I think that's, that's, it's not a, an appropriate argument. And I think it's, it sounds similar to the, the gatekeeping that happens in middle and high schools where it's like, well, we don't want to let all the kids in because if we let all the kids in, then it'll diminish the quality of the teaching that's happening in the classroom. And, and it really comes down to what are the teachers teaching? The, the, other, the other piece that I, I feel like is a false equivalency is, so then where do we stop? Is there, is there you know, in the 1920s, uh, high school became compulsory across the nation in a lot of, a lot of areas. And I, my one question is, you know, did we have these kind of arguments then? Like we're, we're going to open up high schools. We're going to require everybody to go to high school and it's going to be free for everybody. You could still go to private high schools if you want, which people, the wealthy were already doing already. And, you know, if you were in a 15-year-old or 16-year-old, you're expected to work on the farm or work in the family business or something like that. So um, I think this is the next step to provide college or to at least open the door 
to, for folks to, to, to go to college. At the end of the day, a high school diploma gets you practically nowhere. Um, getting a college degree and a bachelor's degree is, is now the baseline to do just about anything and for upward mobility for society. So at some point, we have to stop saying that giving things out for free is a, is a socialistic tendency. It's, it's about uh, rising all boats and helping all people. Um, so that's, that's what I wanted to say. And, and, I, and it's unfortunate that um, so often the, it's either everybody gets into every college, no matter what, for free or kind of like status quo. And, and to the author's credit, credit she, you know, she says, I don't think she says the status quo should continue um, as is. But I do think that there's a happy medium somewhere in there um, where there are more selective public universities, you know, where there is some incentive to continue to want to draw students. You know, you're not obligated maybe to take in every student that applies. Um, and but then on the other end, if you can't fill your seats, similar to a public school, um, your sort of per pupil funding would drop in some way. So that there is some sort of carrot and stick approach to continuing to try and do and be better. And I think, I think unfortunately, that's what that gets lost too much in the argument of it's either free for everyone or it's not. You know, there there's a lot of space in between where I do think that there is room for um, ideas to kind of grow and, and germinate that don't meet either of the extremes. I, 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 I agree, but that's not what Casey's saying. Casey's saying make it free for all. And that's what I'm, when I'm saying I mean, make, it, make it free for all, but with, you know, caveats. Well, and I said I make it free say- for all. You can't, it's not politically feasible uh, to not make it free for all. First of all, second of all, you are like we, we uh, all libraries in our country are open to everybody. They're free for everybody. You can go in, you can take out a book, whether you are making $10 million a year or you are on food stamps. We expect that. We anticipate that in our public libraries. If you want to go to a public school and you are working in a Fortune 500 company, you can do that. If you're on food stamps or you're on SNAP, you, you, are, you are still going to public schools. I think it's a public service and a public good that should be open to all. Why? I, I mean, I would ask the question of why we have such a, why we have such a hard time with this in the first place. I mean, to me, college to a degree is kind of somewhere along the middle to the end of the chain of where we're broken as a society. I mean, wh- if, wh- yeah, if you look at the, you're absolutely right. The, ele- the election results in 1980, in the Reagan era, compared to now, have flipped almost in terms of the folks with college degrees who were once heavily Republican in the 1980s are now heavily Democrat. I guess what I guess what I was saying though is that rising income inequality, other other really um, stubborn social ills that we've allowed to develop. Um, and maybe college and maybe, maybe college just being for, um, you know, those that can afford it has, has contributed to that problem. Um, but I think by the time kids get to, um, get to their senior year in high school, um, inequities and inequality has had such an impact on them already in their short 18 years, 
Yep. Um, that, uh, I mean, I feel like all of those barriers along the way need to be addressed as well. I guess I would say before I said it's free, I think I would manage it more on the front end, Mr. Graves. Those caveats would be um, before you say everybody can go for free, you would try to create a structure where you really identify segments of the population that you know you need to help and you'd have you'd have aid that is targeted towards them that would make a real difference in their their ability to access college. I mean, she did say the one thing, and I agreed with her on, I think this is a strength of making it free to everyone, was that it would be, everyone would know about it. There would be segments of the population that would have much more exposure to what it takes to get to college because it's it's become more of a game than ever. Um, I'm about to experience it with a 17-year-old and I do as a high school educator, I mean, I, I can tell you it's more complex than it was when you millennials applied yeah. to college. I, um, I, I guess I guess I just feel like if you're targeting people for Pell Grants or you're saying that you're going to give this segment of the population something, there is a political class, i.e. the Republicans, who say we, we don't want to give handouts. And we, we don't want to give certain things to certain people. You have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And I feel like that's just one part of their argument about, about this particular uh, benefit. And, I, and- I think, I, I think a, a public option um, is, I think, it's, I think it's very healthy. I think we need to, to, to look at it. I'm not against this. Um, I do have a little bit of the market capitalist in me, though. Um, yeah, the, and the, the only thing I would say is in Germany, all public universities are free for for people in Germany. I under, understood. And, and, uh, understood. And innovation understood. hasn't stopped. Yeah, but Germany. read John Hanushek from Harvard and see how um, how Germany's public <clears throat> public schools, unlike ours, sort kids at a much earlier age. Very more, kids. but they have a they have a robust apprenticeship program yeah, that Casey, brings Casey, kids into apprenticeship programs no, that are very no, successful. No. I was in the schools. You go into the schools in the apprenticeship programs, it's all of the poor immigrant kids are in those classes. I didn't think that's a broad brush. It I is a broad there, brush. I was there too. <laughs> I, that's that was that was my experience. I, I, if you could give me data that backs that up, fine. But at the end of the day, if you want to go to a public university for free at, in Germany, you can do that. All, all, I, all I know is that the way the public schools in Germany sort kids at an earlier age, many less kids are college bound in Germany than they are in this country. The, the, um, this is very accurate. However, if I want to go and I'm in a German school and I'm going to an apprenticeship program and I've been sorted into okay. that, they have a robust system that's been around for centuries that right. benefits kids very positively, and they have positive tracks for apprenticeship programs that don't necessarily need a college degree. Unlike in America, that if you don't have a college degree, you're kind of up the creek without a paddle. True, true. But I'm not, you know, that's not our system. I understand um, that. And, just, and, I, and, and, and I am saying that I think a strength of our K-12 system, unlike many countries in Europe, the British system, Ireland, Germany, they begin to sort kids based on standardized tests at a very early age. And yes. we don't do, and, we, and yes. we don't do that. I mean, I, agree, I know I, I don't necessarily want somebody to tell my, tell me that my kid is going to be putting fenders on a Porsche for the rest of their life. <laughs> I, 
I mean, and that and that's what happens in Germany. I, I agree. I know that there are there, every system is not perfect. What my point was that if you look at a system like Germany that has a, a robust system for both in both ways, they have public university that's free and it hasn't killed innovation. All right. Well, and one one last thing I want to say. Um, this, you get the last me. word, Mr. Uh, that, that she that she did kind of um, end the article with was the general point that you know. Just kind of throwing money at the problem um, and making universities free tomorrow um, doesn't solve the problem. And I, I would actually agree with that. Like if you were to tell me that starting next year, all colleges are free. Uh, yeah, I, I don't this think is true. that's a good idea. I agree with that. Yes. Hey, 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 listen, this summer, school systems across the country, before they really knew what the impacts of COVID were going to be, sunk millions and millions of dollars into free summer school programs. Yep. Do we have any sense of what the outcomes were related to those programs? Lower so, rooms, of course. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, I do, I don't, I, I don't want to sound like um, a government program or bureaucratic hater, but I do, you know, I do worry about um whether you lose some of the things that make a system strong um, by throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I, I, I tend to like, I tend to like highly structured managed programs versus um, something that is just, you know, free for all. I do think people need some incentive to engage yeah. And can I have one one last last word? Of course you can. You can right. always have one last word. So Casey, last word. in 2000, 48% of Turkish pupils in Germany, the largest legal migrant population in Germany, attended the Hauptschule, which is the lowest track academic school. Okay. As compared to 16% of those with a father born in Germany. And how so there's are your data. Okay, so how are they doing in terms of their apprenticeship and how much money uh, are they making? What's their average salary? There's how are they data. doing in terms of benefits? Well, you don't have to worry about benefits because their healthcare is free. How about their retirement? Do they get a pension? How are they doing with that? Do we know about that? I, it was at the, the end of a, or in the middle of a very long ah, article. Okay. <laughs> but I'm uh, glad you got your I'm glad you I got did, your data in. There. I did cherry pick the data real quick. Ah, uh, well, that works. Whatever works. <laughs> and and the, and the other thing that I think she says that's interesting that you see with scholarship athletes, or at least you hear about in college all the time, is that you know it's not just that they get a free education; it's that they can't afford to go to McDonald's to get dinner. And the costs, the, the, the existing costs for kids to survive, um, I mean, you know, free college is not going to, not going to help with that. So how, yeah. do we, how do we expand, you know, support even further um, so that kids are, are, quote unquote, ready to learn and can survive while they're getting that yep. subsidized education? All right. Yep. Uh, we are going to talk more about uh, private sector. Oh, by the way, the private sector should have a role in this. God knows what it is. But can you, what about a creative tax structure? Biden wants to raise the corporate income tax, right? Yeah. What if we, what, what if, what if, what if corporations had to use that, that had to go directly to subsidizing higher ed? Absolutely. Amazon should be paying so much more money. <laughs> Why aren't people paying more money? All right, folks, Lord. don't get, don't go away. When we come back, we're excited to have uh, Kimberly Carlisle, the director of uh, Utah Talent Ready on Eds.Dead. We'll be back in a minute.
right, folks, we are incredibly excited to have Kimberly Carlisle, who is the director of Talent Ready Utah on the show tonight. Uh, Talent Ready Utah is a GOED program that helps build the Utah workforce while providing students with increased career and education opportunities. Through the Talent Ready Apprenticeship Connection Program, 27 students have been, have been partnered with Stadler Rail to help guide career development. Talent Ready Utah also has five pathway programs. Most recently, fellas, the Utah legislator alloc allocated $16.5 million in CARES Act money to establish the Learn and Work in Utah program. Mr. Craves, you're going to ask more about that. Yep. And uh, this initiative includes support for the Utah System of Higher Education's Custom Fit Program and several other workforce training programs to provide education and training to displaced workers. Uh, once again, it's exciting to have Kimberly on the show. Kimberly, welcome to Ed's Not Dead. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, let's jump in. So tell our listeners uh, about Talent Ready Utah and what your organization is all about. Yeah, so Talent Ready Utah is housed in the Governor's Office of Economic Development here in Utah. And it was actually officially announced in 2017 by Governor Gary Herbert to better bridge the, the, the gap between industry and education. So you'll find that all of our programs are very much industry facing. Uh, we have uh, leaders from industry come in and meet with our education partners to build out youth apprenticeship programs, pathway programs, uh, short-term training programs, whatever it may be. But that's kind of in a nutshell what Talent Ready Utah is. Um, two of your most recent program additions are something called Utah Works and Talent Ready Apprenticeship Connection. How do you find this to be different than other career readiness programs that may be offered in uh, other Utah schools? Yeah, so the Talent Ready Apprenticeship Connection program was a brand new program that we started a little over a year ago with Stadler Rail. Uh, they're actually a Swiss company, and they came to Salt Lake as their first North American headquarters. Wow. So they were really used to the Swiss apprenticeship model, and they encouraged us to look at a youth apprenticeship program that's a little bit more robust than we see in other states. Um, so essentially, we take high school seniors and they split their time 50-50. So on A days, they go to school. On B days, they go and do their apprenticeship. Now, it's a three-year program. So they do their first year in high school, and then they do two years at our community college, uh, Salt Lake Community College here in Salt Lake City. Um, after the three years, they have a guaranteed full-time job with the company. Wow. They graduate tuition or debt-free because they've paid for their tuition. And they also have three years of work experience under their belt. And so that program, like I said, has been in place a little over a year. We actually just started our second cohort this school year of high school seniors. And it's been a unique opportunity for these students to get that work experience while they're in high school. We, we have the Utah Works program uh, that's also new to Talent Ready Utah over the last year. That program is focused on adults, so individuals 18 years or older, and it's a short-term training program. It might be anywhere from uh, two weeks to two months, but it's a training program that is specific to one company who has a, a major hiring uh, need in the state. And with the, the with the Utah Works, like what is you, who who are you focusing on? Are folks that maybe in between jobs or like what, what who are the kind of people that you're looking for? 
That's exactly right. So a lot of individuals who participate in the program are either underemployed or unemployed, or maybe they're looking for a career change, but it allows them to have a very specific training for one company. The, the pathway programs that are kind of the bread and butter of Talent Ready Utah and really what started Talent Ready Utah back in 2015, those pathway programs were geared towards high school students mm. who enroll in a training program. They do an internship while they're in high school with a company. Uh, here, it's usually Boeing or Northrop Grumman, one of our mm -hmm. aerospace companies. And then they have a guaranteed job interview with those companies once they earn that certificate. And so with all of the Talent Ready Utah programs, they're very heavily focused on the industry side because industry is, is going to be hiring these individuals. So they get to help design the curriculum and the training. Wow, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, one sec, Mr. Krabs, um, other than mangling uh, uh, Stadler Railways, which I had no idea was a Swiss company. I, I'm really <laughs> curious about. Um, I'm curious about that apprenticeship idea. So they really, they really pushed that apprenticeship kind of model with you all versus um, that being a part of it from the the conceptualizing the program. Yeah, so they were the ones who actually approached us and they said, we would like to do youth apprenticeships in Utah. And like I said, we had not done that before where it was split 50-50. That's a good chunk of time for a high mm -hmm. school senior. Yeah. But as we started working with our state board of education and the local school districts, we found out that it was definitely doable. Um, students have electives and if they were, you know, kind of on top of things during their sophomore and junior year, then they were able able to kind of split their time 50-50 and get that work experience. But it was the company who came to us with the idea and we said, absolutely, we'll look into it. And we were able to not only put it in place, but also get the support of our state legislature to help with some of the funding that goes wow. towards that program. That, that's awesome. What have the kids said about the program? Has it been positive? Yes, they love it. They love the program. Um, in fact, I think the first year they only had two students not complete the first year. And I think they both ended up moving out of state because their parents got jobs out of state. So it wasn't because they, they weren't enjoying the program, but they've, they've really enjoyed it. They get to pick a couple different focuses, whether that be on kind of electrical or more of the machining side. Right. And then they have mentors within the company and, uh, wow. This year, the school district actually gave all of the apprentices a laptop to help them as they're doing virtual learning, but they're also still doing their apprenticeship uh, in a COVID-friendly environment. So wow. they're they're making it work. That that's fantastic. Go yeah. ahead, Mr. Graves. Yeah, I, I you know, and I had kind of more of a, a global question, I guess. Um, you know, I feel like um, in over the last however many years, there's been you know talk about. Uh, an increase in like vocational schools and kids learning, tr uh, you know, specific training in high school so that they, if they don't want to go to college and, you know, they want to come out and, and start their career immediately, they can do that. And, you know, I, I don't have any, any data on this, but it feels like it's always kind of like, oh, it's, it's going to be the next big thing. It's almost there. It's going to be the next big thing. And I, I don't know whether that's the case or not, but, you know, I guess I, I, I'm interested in your perspective on that do you think you know whether it is something like talent ready utah and you know it does sound a, uh, a little bit different than kind of like a, a traditional vocational training program um you know is this something that you see that can 
spread or do you think it's more of kind of like a smaller program due to the specific um, connection that you have with um, some of the, the industries? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I guess kind of a broad uh, approach to that is that I do think uh, career and technical education is very uh, important to our economy. And what we're seeing in Utah is that a lot of our sectors or uh, industry clusters is what we call them, um, they do require some of the specific skill sets uh, that we focus on, on with Talent Ready Utah. So we, we have pathway programs in aerospace and manufacturing and, and the life science industries. But we've also done a lot of work within like the tech industry with computer science and other skills. So I would say kind of to answer your question, I think career and technical education is, is really essential. And I think a lot of individuals are finding out that having a specific skill set is really helpful. Um, I kind of think long gone are the days that you go to college and learn everything you need to in four years for the next 30 years of your career and kind of learning how to be a lifelong learner. What we call in Utah stackable credentials, we put a big focus on that where an individual can earn a certification go to work, get that work experience. And a lot of employers will pay for their tuition to stack on another uh, certificate or even degree. And I think that type of learning and that type of education is becoming more and more common. But I do think kind of having that skill set is effective. And, and with a lot of our programs at Talent Ready, we've started with you know, a pilot here or there with a couple of school districts. And then we expand it depending on the need of industry and how many people they need to hire will bring on additional school districts to participate. What, what's, what's your sense of, sorry, Robbie, what's your, what's your sense of, um, you know, this is something, a kind of program that I've, I've long imagined to, to happen for something like the teaching workforce where America is expected to have a hundred thousand uh, teacher shortages every year. And I, I'm wondering what kind of talk you've heard about expanding into the education realm and, and preparing teachers in that sense. I think that would be um, a really good idea to, to start focusing on that. I actually think you could do stackable credentials and map out a pathway for really almost any job, even like a government bureaucratic job like myself. I think there's different courses and certifications that you could earn, but I do agree with you focusing on the teacher shortage and how we can get more individuals in that talent pipeline. Um, a program like this would be very beneficial for that. Um, I, I, Kimberly, we've been doing this show now for what, four years, guys, stackable credentials is the new, it's I the new, that. It's, good. It's, <laughs> it's great. I need some of those. It's, I know, we, all, we all need some stackable credentials. It's our new new favorite uh, word. Um, the the fellas know, Kimberly, that I'm always big on... Gestalt. No, not that. <laughs> oh, um, oh, sorry. How, how public school systems get more skin in the game from the private sector. It sounds like to a degree you all have done, are doing that successfully. Um, because, you know, I, 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 I don't necessarily believe that state and local governments can do it all on behalf of kids, especially when it comes to workforce development. I think the private sector needs to be involved. You talked about tuition support. What, what else are, are those sectors that you've spoken about bringing to the table in these kinds of arrangements? 
Yeah, so we actually encourage our industry partners to be really involved, not just in reviewing curriculum once or twice a year, which I feel like is kind of the kind of the basic of what you get, uh, the minimum of what you get. Um, but our industry partners are also uh, involved with the marketing of the program. So they go into the schools and they do classroom presentations. The big, the two big things I would say that they do in addition to that is um, they provide a work-based learning experience for the students, specifically the high school students. And so that is typically an internship or an externship or a job shadow. And if we do job shadows, then a student gets to job shadow multiple companies. And so our employers know that they're expected to participate in that. And then the, the other thing that I think really sets us apart is that the industry partners provide the guaranteed job interview. So they're saying to the students, once you earn this entry level certification, you have a guaranteed job interview with all of us. They're not guaranteeing a job but they are put at the top of the list. They have the guaranteed job interview and then they get their foot in the door and then they can take advantage of the tuition reimbursement and those other opportunities. But a lot of our programs we're meeting every other month uh, with industry and education. And then it's the local school district CTE directors that are there. And then it's usually the HR director from the company because they're the ones knowing, you know, here's the training that we need and what we require and so it's worked out really well, but our industry partners have been so supportive. Um, but it's helped them out too, because they've yeah. been able to increase their awareness of their companies and they've been able to increase their talent pipeline. And it's just one additional option for them as they're hiring individuals and filling the, the job demand. Um, I have awesome. a question um, about you know, whether there's like a, a, a specific student profile or type of student that you're looking for and, you know, to be totally transparent, the kind of angle that I'm looking at it from is, um, you know, really like an equity-based angle and opening doors for kids that might not have um, those doors open for them in, in other circumstances. Is that something that you all take into consideration? Is that something that you all strive to do? Like kind of, I guess, just where, where in your mission and, and work does that fit in? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I mean, for all of our programs, we open it up to every student. Uh, they all have the opportunity to participate and to be engaged. Um, a lot, well, we found that a lot of the students that end up participating is because a teacher or a trusted a faculty member kind of told them about it and encouraged them, said, hey, this is a program you might be interested in. Um, so we found that that works really well. Um, but we have noticed that a lot of individuals who, students who participate, um, maybe are the students who, who don't know for sure if they want to go to college right out of high school, and they might be interested in going right into the workforce right out of high school. And so we do see a lot of students who maybe don't know for sure what their next step is and an option like this is very appealing to them um, because they do kind of get their foot in the door. They have the guaranteed job interview and then they can kind of see a pathway beyond high school. Yeah. I guess, sorry, one, one last question. I, I just texted them that I had no more questions. I lied. <laughs> I just thought of the one that I, I, I was like, I should write that down. I, I, total <laughs> false. <laughs> uh, so real last question. Um, I know it's a pretty young program, 2015. Um, 
but I was reading something today, you know, just kind of about, it's not about, this had to do with college, but getting kids into college, but then seeing them through to finishing. And obviously this is not college, but um, have you all tracked at all? Like do kids typically stay in the jobs for a year, two years? Are they in, have they still in there four years later? Like does, do they seem to stick? Yeah. So really good question. We, we track that the best we can, but we don't have the best way to track that. Um, and part of that is because once they graduate high school and they go and work for a company, we kind of lose sure. that yeah, ability, yeah, so to right. speak. Um, however, we do try to keep in touch with the companies on a regular basis. And so we are talking a lot with them and, and we do see a lot of individuals take advantage of it. There's, a gal that we've interviewed in kind of spotlight who went and worked for Boeing. She was one of their youngest uh, uh, team leads that they had. She's taken full advantage of it. At 21, she was getting her ma- or her bachelor's degree with uh, Boeing paying for that. And, and she was a full-time employee there, right? Wow. Uh, but I think there's other individuals who are just comfortable with kind of where there are where they're at and maybe uh, focusing on that versus taking advantage of the tuition reimbursement. So it's hard to say we see both, but I don't have a hard data to back that up. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if I move to Utah, can you, can you hook me up? I, I can get you enrolled in one <laughs> Give of me these some podcasts. stackable credentials. <laughs> I'm like, I want to work for Boeing. <laughs> Swiss Stadler. <laughs> Boeing is Boeing is here too. Boeing is everywhere. Yeah, but then yeah. you wouldn't be able to go to Utah. Yeah, we wouldn't live in this Utah. This is true. Still yeah, Utah, Utah is the yes. That's that would be a good draw. All right, Kimberly. Um, only certain guests on Edge Not Dead get the the prize, which is a, <laughs> a Mr. Sidden's quiz. Are you ready? Oh, okay, a quiz. Okay, All right. a quiz. It's yes. an education show. That's right. So. Yeah. So well, Kimberly, it's it has been a pleasure having you on the pod and joining us all the way from the Beehive State. We know you are an expert in preparing students for their future careers, as well as you are the most famous Utahn that we've had on the pod. <laughs> but we would like to quiz you on what you know about other famous Carlisles. Oh, so if you okay. answer three quirky questions about folks with the same surname as you, you win. Are you okay. ready? <laughs> well, does it, does it have to be spelled the same way as Kimberly spells her last name? Are you, great, did, great question. There's one that is spelled with a Y. Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you that. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Kimberly. Go ahead. Go Number ahead. one, the singer songwriter Brandy Carlisle is not only a famous musician, but she is also an avid fisherwoman. In an interview with Rolling Stone, she noted that she fishes in the South for catfish, the Midwest for walleye, Alaska for halibut and the local lakes for trout and says it's kind of rednecky, but as they say, blank. A, the tug is the drug. B, the fish is the dish. Or C, it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to go with A. A is correct. The tug is the drug. (laughs) And C, that last one was uh, actually a Kurt Cobain quote. Number two, you're doing great. Number two, in June of 2015, why did the famous Australian rules football player Alapate Carlisle become the most hated man in the world? Is it A, he spent around $535,000 in the purchase, care, and training of three Bengal tigers he owned for a year, and he also brought his first wife 
a $2.2 million 24-karat solid gold bathtub? Or is it B, he spoiled the ending of the latest series of Game of Thrones to his Facebook friends? Or C, he refused to endorse uh, Vegemite sandwiches? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Let's go with A. There's a lot of information. Uh, Sounds entertaining. (laughs) Actually, it's not A. That was Mike Tyson, I'm afraid. Uh, It's actually B. He spoiled the ending of the latest Game of Thrones to his Facebook friends. Current and former teammates, colleagues, on-field rivals, and more smashed. Okay, you don't have to read the whole question. Can you listen to me? I'm going to mute you. I'm going to mute you. It's the follow-up information. This is my section, Dr. Dodd. You need to mute yourself just because, you know, you're a principal. I'll I'll mute him. Thank you. Uh, So current and former teammates uh, blasted him for spoiling the ending, which fan favorite favorite, um, apparently dies. I've never seen it. Uh, He's a blank bloke in the world. I'm not going to say it on the podcast. One office worker at the, the team said, uh, another person said, I agree, put that one down for me too, said the club's head of finance. And another person said, he's a real scumbag, which is someone <laughs> who worked with him. Anyway, this one is the last one. You're, you have one more chance to get two out of three. Number three, the curse of Carlisle, a city in Northwest England, is a 16th century curse that was first invoked against cross-border families who live by stealing cattle and pillaging. For the Millennium Celebrations, the local council commissioned a 14-ton granite artwork inscribed with all 1,000 words of the curse. After the curse, after the installation of the stone, Carlisle suffered floods, job losses, and a a goal famine for the football (laughs) team. The city council was considering whether to remove, this is a long one, sorry, whether to remove the stone in order to try to stop the bad luck, which had stopped the city, but why has the town not removed the stone? A, because Kevin, I can't pronounce his last name, Carillone, the self-titled high priest of the British white witches, proclaimed that such actions would give the curse more power. B, because it would cost too much. Or C, they tried but couldn't destroy it. Ooh. Let's go with A. That sounds like a better story. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, the, the high priest of the British white witches he commented that a curse can only work if people can if people believe in it, and I think at that moment the sculpture is a nice piece of history. But if the council destroys it, they would be showing their belief in the curse. <laughs> so you win. I'd like <laughs> to congratulate you. you. You you had the longest. That was that like was eight the pages of questions. <laughs> God, <laughs> thank you for being a good. I'm going to mute you again. I'm going to mute you. Again. <laughs> no, it was a great quiz. It was very good. <laughs> oh, now you say it. Now you say it. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, and you did, and you did well, Kimberly. Um, Kimberly, uh, where can our listeners find more information about um, about uh, Talent Ready Utah? Yeah, so just talentreadyutah.com. You can find information about all of our programs there. Awesome. All right. Um, well, fellas, I'd like to thank again Kimberly Carlisle, Director of Talent Ready Utah. Kimberly, it's been great to have you on the show and. Keep us posted on your work and we'll get you back on again sometime. Thanks. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. Uh, I'm still joined by my co-hosts. Um, it's been an especially... Spicy. Sp- spicy show and... <laughs> 
equally spicy off air in between segments. <laughs> That's all been recorded. <laughs> I was just so patronizing to Mr. Siddons. <laughs> I'll, I'll apologize to you all there. <laughs> that was very nice of you. It's, it was actually so patronizing that it was so, it was actually really funny. You, you, you handled it well and made, made fun of me in a, in a productive way. Okay. All right. Put it in his report card at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm putting it in the spreadsheet. You got an A. Uh, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership instruction and 21st century school reform. Uh, I realized at the beginning of the show with my tech issues, um, I did not mention that, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC or check out the website at edsnotdead.com. Um all right, this may be the last uh, Dear Betsy ever. We took we started the show arguing about free college, um, and now we're going to end the show, Casey, with um, Betsy DeVos uh, talking about a socialist government takeover of higher <laughs> education and uh, the evils of loan forgiveness. So, what has Bet what is Betsy up to at the very end of her tenure? Well, she's she's obviously on the side of the student and on the side of the people with her most recent missives. Uh, there's a story in the Post on higher education section, DeVos bashes student debt forgiveness and free college movement. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I almost don't even want to spend time talking about her because it's, I'm, I've just, I've had it. Come on, it's, we it's spent been a great segment. It's been it. a great segment. It's had a great run. But you know what? I think... Loan loan like, forgiveness is a is a hot topic, and it's gonna it's gonna. Of course, to part so of my is, quiz is gonna be about loan forgiveness for both of you. So hopefully, you're taking notes. <laughs> um, but uh, she was interviewed um, about uh, at, at an education department financial aid conference, and she talked about quote the truly insidious notion of government gift giving, uh, and and every word that comes out of her mouth uh, out of her mouth is just. Um, poison they're to you. Bo- it's poison but it's also just buzzwords and things to get the the far right base excited and the trump uh, the trump folks uh, um on their train and it, it, a lot of it's not really based in fact and it's not it's based in emotion and it's based in uh sound bites that will uh get her people very excited um one of the things that she talked about in terms of debt cancellation she's very against debt cancellation she says we've heard shrill calls to cancel, to forgive, to make it all free. And she said, any inoculus and any innocuous label out there can't obfuscate what it really is. And it's wrong. And I I, I just I I have such an issue with her just personally and professionally. But uh, she says nothing is free. Somebody somewhere pays the bill. And when I read that, uh, when she said the bill is coming due, yeah, it should be to you. The bill should be charged to you and and your wealthy people that that you know are taking over the country. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going off the rails here. Someone, <laughs> please help me. But seriously, you have yachts, no, I, I, and I you have mansions, see what and you have mansions, and you have all this money that you don't even know what to do with, and you're saying somebody pays the bill. Yeah, you should be paying the bill. Her her brother actually has his own private army. Yeah, they have a private <laughs> militia force that fought in Iraq, like. That's that's a problem. How much money do you need? You should be paying the bill. The bill should be going to your door. And that's all I have to say about that. 
All right. I, that's, that's, that's good. You didn't go off the rails too bad. I do. I do. Like <laughs> I was, I was getting there <laughs> and I needed someone to pull back the reins a little bit because I'm a she, little fired up. She took a couple really classic uh, Dear Betsy shots in, in, in the, in this piece. Um, DeVos warned financial aid officers. I just picture financial aid officers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you all picture when you picture a financial aid officer. Pocket protectors. <laughs> yeah. Um, that they will be, quote, forced to merely oversee rationing of state-approved higher education options. That reminds me of when Sean Hannity used to talk about Obamacare and rationing of health care and, the, and, do, and doctors were going to be making decisions about people dying. Death squads. Death panels. Death panels for your parents. Yeah, death panels. There you go. Colleges and universities, she said, will, quote, begin. Here you go. Here's her shot. She gets this in. Will begin to resemble a failing K twelve school. Oh uh, God! With the customer, read, oh. with the customer service of the DMV to boot. Oh, God. <laughs> she had to get a DMV insult in there. Whoever wrote that for her is that's that's pretty pretty great. They have like they have like a, they have like a checklist of all the things that they need to talk about in terms of yeah. uh, rating government bureaucracy. How can like, we get the DMV in here? So we haven't talked about the DMV in any of our speeches. So I'm hoping that in one of your last ones, you could do that. It's the swamp, baby. The swamp. It's the swamp. She is the swamp. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Anyway. All right. Well, today is December 2nd, um, listeners. So I think our next recording date is in gonna, two weeks. Yeah, yes. It's going to come out right, right before Christmas holiday. All right. I'm putting it on Casey right now that we are going to do a... We're gonna say we're we're gonna do we're gonna say goodbye to dear Betsy on the last episode. Uh, I'm gonna start working on it. Of the the worst (laughs) year in the modern era of our republic, 2020. Right. Um, and give her a proper send-off. All right, quiz time. All right, who wants to go first? Crable or Dobbs? Uh, I think I went first last time, so let Bobby D go. All right, so here's the the little swing here, the little change is uh the first two questions are multiple choice. The third question is fill in the blank. And we have separate quizzes or the same quiz? Separate quizzes. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is this is a new twist you've added. Yeah, yeah. It's a little easier to quality control here. Parallel. Don't, don't take a long. Parallel quiz. Parallel quizzes. What? Much shorter than the than the the last one that I had. You ready? <laughs> uh, number one, Doctor Dobbs. About how many adults under age 30 have student loan debt? Is it A, one-third, B, two-thirds, or C, one-half? Percentage of uh, number of adults under age 30 with have some student loan debt. Student loan debt. A third, two-thirds, or a half? Correct. Adults ages 18 to 29. This is tough. Um, I'm going to say half. Nope. It's uh, actually a third among adults age 18 to 29. 34% say they have outstanding student loans for their education. Yeah, I thought it would be higher. I thought it would be a little higher. I didn't think it was going to be two thirds, but I thought it was probably half. Okay. Um, uh, It's a solid guess. Number two. In 2016, the amount students owed varied widely, especially by degree attained. How much did the median borrower owe? A, 5,000 bucks, B, 6,000 bucks, or C, 17,000 bucks? 
I'm going to go with C, 17000 bucks. That is correct. Among borrowers of all ages and outstanding student loan debt, the median self-reported amount owed, those with less than a bachelor's degree was $10,000. Uh, bachelor's degree holders owed a medium of twenty five grand, while those with postgraduate degrees owed a median of forty five grand. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we were talking five or six grand for, for, for debt? That, that's manageable. Yeah. yeah. Number three, fill in the blank. What is the total dollar amount for student loan debt for Americans? And if you're in the ballpark, you'll get it. If you're if you're within ten billion dollars. <laughs> oh, so you're not giving me even a hint. This I just have to come up blank. with a number. Correct. Is it, give me. Is it in the billions or trillions? It's in the trillions. Okay, I think that's helpful. Trillions. Yes. Uh, what's the current federal deficit? Oh, Jesus. Ten trillion. Current federal. One point one point two trillion. The current federal Debt deficit, or deficit is uh, nine hundred eighty-four billion. Oh, I thought the, we were. At... Are you talking about the deficit, like the yearly oh. yearly deficit, or the but national? This says, Forbes says three trillion federal national debt. debt. Okay, yeah, the national debt is much higher. Oh, current uh, national federal debt. debt. Current federal debt, $22.8 trillion. Okay. I'll give you credit for this. Honestly, if you can get within $500 billion of the <laughs> I think whether I, I think if I get within $5 trillion, I should get it. <laughs> um, all right. I, I'm going to say uh, uh, federal debt is $22 trillion. I'm going to say college debt is $3 trillion. My guess is 1.6. It's actually 1.5 trillion dollars. But it's not his thing. Doesn't matter. This is true. This is true. Uh, why did you why did you even accept an answer from him? I didn't. I he didn't get the point. You get credit. He didn't get he didn't get credit. Do I do I not credit? I don't get credit. No, you were well, I mean no. I said three I said three and it was a, and it was one point five. That's true. You're close enough. You get a credit. Two I said five hundred billion dollars. You were one and a half trillion dollars off. Well, you don't make the rules, okay? <laughs> All right. So two out of three. <laughs> two out of three. Uh, he got a D. All right. All right. Uh, number. Uh, all right, Crable. Number yeah. one, from the late 80s to 2018, the cost of an undergraduate degree increased by how much percentage at public schools while 129% at private schools? Is it A, 55%, B, 75%, or C, 213%. Okay. A, 55%. Incorrect. It's C, 213%. At public while, schools? Correct. While 129% at public schools or at private schools. During that time, annual tuition rose to $9,970 from $3,000 for public schools and to thirty-four thousand from fifteen thousand for private schools. Number two, I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. So it was the you were looking for the aggregate. I was thinking. I mean, I knew in the nineties that the college that I went to went up about five percent per year. So add that up. There you go. I see. Uh, number two, uh, more than how many senior citizens in the U.S. are still paying off their student loans? Is it a one million? Is it B, 3 million, or is it C, 5 million? 69 oh. and over? 69. I, I think it's like what, 60. What, 60, okay. 
We should call up one T Patterson to ask him. Gotta know. I gotta know. You know that. that, oh, that, that right, so this is the you. boomers, man. The boomers don't have any debt. The, what, it's one yeah. million. It's the lowest number. I that agree. I think correct. It is B three million. Young long. people aren't the only ones paying off debt. More than three million Americans age sixty and older owe more than eighty six billion dollars in unpaid student loans. And oh number three, Lord. that's wow. a lot. And number three, fill in the blank, student loan debt is the reason 13% of Americans in a survey conducted last year said they decided not to blank. Mary. Oh, have kids. Have kids. I wouldn't have gotten that one if Robbie didn't say Mary. <laughs> <laughs> and like my thinking was totally not even in that ballpark. <laughs> well, you tied this one, so... Congratulations. No, he didn't. He got one and I got uh, two out of three. Yeah, you got two I won again. And by the way, if we did the <laughs> aggregate of quizzes over four seasons, I would be the winner. Sure. Really, I, I feel and like for I'm, me, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> I'm usually pretty good at quizzes, but uh, once once we hit that record button, I, I choke. <laughs> Unfortunate. I, th- I think it's probably a draw between Crable and I. Well, All it's right. interesting in that Betsy DeVos Washington Post article, it noted the amount of uh, debt, total amount of debt that students in America owed. And I was like, oh, there's the answer for one of the questions in the quiz. <laughs> Boy, how, how old is Betsy DeVos? 37. I bet she is. 52. Do we want to guess? That should have been in the quiz. Get out of here, dude. She's like 66. Nah, that's what I would say. 65, maybe. Okay, let's see. She is. What did you say, Robbie? 65. And what did you say, Peter? 66. She is 62. Oh, Robbie wins again. Married to Dick DeVos in 1979. What? It says it on on Wikipedia. Richard DeVos. What's her brother's name again? Mr. 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 Blackwater. Eric Prince. Eric Prince. Uh, that's right. Eric Xavier Prince. Yeah, he's oh, thank a thank you, Wikipedia. He is a shadowy figure. He and Mike, he and, he and Mike Flynn are buddies. Do you oh, know that um, Betsy DeVos went to a public college? Really? Uh, really? No, I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have thought, funny. I would have thought maybe she went to the University of Michigan. No, uh, oh, come on, man. She went to Calvin College. Oh, uh, because she's, was she, is that a Christian school? Yeah. Yeah. In a green named, named after the Grand uh, Rapids. named after the burn heretics at the stake. John Calvin. I would assume <laughs> that would be. Would be my... <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. School is named after John Calvin, the Protestant <laughs> reformer. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, well, that was a great quiz, Mr. Siddons. Uh, Only the best for you. I want to I want to hit you with a little um, little educational quiz as well. That parallel quiz idea. What great developmental psychologist came up with the concept of parallel play in children? You broke up a little bit. What was it? <laughs> that is a lie. I did not no, break up. <laughs> I, I actually didn't hear it. Who came up with parallel play? That's parallel play. When they play next, next, you'll figure it out soon enough. I'll just answer the question. Don't worry about it. Uh, 
Just kidding. Just kidding. Good Lord. Kids play when they're young. They play next to each other, but like they don't know how to play with each other. Very good, Mr. Krebs. Yeah. Who came up with it? um, Is it Maria Montessori? Was that her first name? Nah, that's she. She cap. I think she she operationalized it, but she theoretically didn't come up with it. It was Jean Piaget. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was Mildred Parten. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Mildred now. Mildred right. Parten was one of the first to study pure sociability among two to five-year-olds in 1932. She's noticed a dramatic rise of interactive play with age and concluded that social development includes three stages. Well, it's actually, that's a, you've really hit on a big debate in the social psycho developmental uh, adolescent world. You know what I do. Yeah. That's pretty- All right. Uh, as always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Fellas, we have to get out of here, uh, but our listeners can find your incredibly stimulating tweets at Ed's Not Dead PC and check out the website for our uh, most recent blog posts, edsnotdead.com. Um, I'm going to see you all before the holidays, right? So this Absolutely. is not goodbye. Yep. All right. Farewell. Anything exciting coming up this weekend? Uh, no. Back in the house. But if anybody is interested in collecting shark teeth, man, I went to a sweet beach on, on the uh, Potomac River last weekend uh, where the kids found like 30 shark teeth in the matter of like 30 minutes. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. How big? Uh, I mean, very small. <laughs> maybe uh, biggest one was maybe a quarter inch, something like That's that. That's pretty wild. Yeah. The, bo- the boys scratch each other's arms with them or anything, right? Shockingly, no. I, I don't. None of they didn't put them in their mouths and bite each other either. They were like shockingly well put together. I think uh, the novelty of it. Uh, uh, I don't know. Just didn't prevented that. I guess they had a good time. <laughs> you had you had good weather doing it. Yeah, Nan Nanjamoy. 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 Never even heard of it before you texted me. Yeah, me neither. My guess is is that is <clears throat> do you all know the the Maryland uh the 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 Native American Native American tribe that was the most dominant in Maryland? Nanacoke. Good good guess. The Algonquins. Nanacokes were a mm-hmm. part of the Algonquins. So that my my guess would be that 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 is related to the Algonquins, Mr. Krabs. Maybe, yeah. Do you know how old these shark teeth are? Uh, let me guess. Since we if were doing, within, bill- I'll give you. I'll give you another. I'll give you a buffer. If you're within <laughs> three, did you, car- million- did you carbon date them? Yeah, I did actually. It doesn't Whoa. take that long. You know? uh, if you're within <laughs> three million years, you you get um, high five. All right, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 25 million years old. Not not a bad guess. Uh, 17 million years old. Wonder what period that was. Uh, the late Triassic. The Mesozoic. <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> Triassic. <laughs> uh, that was good. You didn't even hesitate on that. Uh, that was good. <laughs> All right. Uh, once again, thank you to our, our guest, Kimberly Carlisle. She was awesome. Uh, thanks for booking her, Mr. Krabs. Um, talent. Uh, sorry, Mr. Sins. <laughs> Mr. Sins. <laughs> the funny thing about Stepping was, all over me. <laughs> funny thing was, was I was looking at directly at you when I said his name. I have no idea where that came from. Uh, Mr. Siddons booked uh, Miss Carlisle, and she was awesome. Talent Ready Utah. 
uh, check out the website. And um, I know Mr. Sins will have a great guest on us for our next episode. As always, uh, check us out uh, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a good rating and send us some feedback and we'll read your show feedback on the air. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to Ed's Not Dead. See you, fellas. We'll catch you later.